What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast, where we give men what they need to love and lead from the front. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. Whether it's your first time listening or if you've followed every single episode along the way, I really just want to pause and I want to thank you so much for giving us your time, your attention, your support here on the show, helping us to further our mission. It's something that I cannot thank you enough for. You could spend your time doing literally anything else and you have chosen to tune in, to listen to this show. That's a responsibility that I take very seriously and my goal here is to give you a great return on that time. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we jump into the episode today, I want to do a quick plug for our new Facebook group, the Dad, the Man Facebook group for the men, husbands, and fathers who are listening here on the show. We are taking these relationships, these connections offline into the group. We're pouring into each other, leaning on each other. It's totally free. I have nothing to sell, so there's no excuse not to join. I hope to see you in there soon. You can find us on Facebook. Go to the group section of Facebook and search for Dad the Man, and it will pop up. Or you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Dad the Man. You can find us that way. And there's also going to be a link in the show notes, whatever platform you listen on, and you'll be able to click and go directly to the group. That's all you got to do. I hope to see you in there soon. So today's guest is none other than Ryan Mickler. Ryan is the founder and host of the podcast and movement called Order of Man. He's an Iraqi combat veteran who sold his financial planning practice, moved his family from Utah to Maine, all in order to pursue his mission to help men grow fully into their roles as protectors, providers, and presiders for themselves, their families, and their communities. The Order of Man movement is one that has experienced phenomenal success from both a metrics and impact standpoint. Ryan has hosted some of our country's biggest names and served thousands and thousands of both men and women who follow him. Ryan has been a big inspiration for me in starting and growing this podcast with his no-nonsense insights into what it takes to build something great. One thing I really appreciate about Ryan is his willingness to stand up and fight, to fight for men, to discuss the difficult topics, to ask the difficult questions, to share his honest and truthful opinion, and to do it all from a place of respect. And again, all in the name of serving those who follow him. He's a true tip of the spear kind of guy. But above it all, Ryan is an incredible man, husband and father, and it was an honor to host him here on the show. So here's my conversation with the Ryan Mickler. And we are live with the founder of The Order of Man podcast and movement with us today, the one and only Ryan Mickler. Ryan, I want to um, thank you for a couple of things right off the bat here. First and foremost, I want to thank you for making some time for us today. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. So thank you so much for for showing up here to pour into into our show and into our listeners, into our movement. Number two, I want to thank you for your service to our country. I think that, uh, that, that speaks for itself right there. I really want to thank you for that. And number three, I want to thank you for doing the work that you do through order of man. I was telling you a little bit before, before we hopped on, I have found so much motivation and inspiration from you and the work that you're doing, not just in the content that you share and, you know, learning about what it means to be a man and how I can step into that role stronger and stronger each and every day, but also in, in, in starting the show, just you have evidenced what is possible through your movement. And then also you've evidenced that what you are doing, what we are doing is extremely necessary, I believe. So 
I want to thank yeah, you no for doubt. those three things. And with all that being said, Ryan Mickler, welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. I appreciate it, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation and uh, what you're doing is incredible. Obviously, we need to have more resources for fathers and dads. That's much of the, the foundation of my work, too. So whatever we can do to support the dads out there, man, that's what we're all about. Let's make it happen. Amen. All right. Well, let's kick things off. If you don't mind, take us back. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Let everybody get to know you a little bit. Maybe just you know who you were as a kid, siblings, family dynamic, what you were into, the whole nine yards. Yeah. I mean, it's just me and my sister. I've got a sister who's three years younger than me. Uh, you know, I, I, my, my dad was somebody who, uh, who, who loved us. Um, he had a lot of, uh, struggles with drugs and alcohol. Unfortunately, he was out of the picture primarily for the most part, uh, when I was, when I was three. So I got to see him, you know, uh, on the summers and, and things like that. I'd see him a couple times a year. And, and my mom would, all, she tells me now, she would always know when it was time for me to see my dad because I would become very angry and, and contentious uh, and frustrated. And then that was time for me to see my dad. And then it seemed to subside a little bit, which is kind of interesting. We, we might get into some of that discussion here about the importance of fathers and not only in, in their children, children's lives in general, but specifically with their boys. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that was the deal. Uh, I saw him, we had a pretty decent relationship as best you could, if you only saw him a couple times a year. Uh, and then I had a couple other stepfathers come into my life until the age of 14 or so. I, I had one come into my life. Uh, I remember glimpses of him being a good father. He was a, uh, a cabinet maker and I would spend time in his shop sweeping the floors and, and learning how to use a push broom and getting the floors clean. I'd make a little money doing that. Uh, we would build Pinewood Derby cars together. Uh, he was really into sprint car races. So I remember going to the sprint car races and watching those, those cars, you know, race around the dirt track and fling mud everywhere. That was always fun. Uh, so there was glimpses, but ultimately, you know, an alcoholic. Um, and so just not real present as, as a father looking back at it now. And then I had another stepfather coming to my life who was uh, verbally and emotionally abusive. And, and none of that was I should say very little of that was directed towards me. It was mostly uh, directed towards my mom primarily and, and my sister, uh, which was unfortunate. And so that ended as well. So I never really had a great role model uh, growing up as, as far as how a boy becomes a man. Um, I had a lot of great coaches in my life. My mom saw that there was a deficiency in my life of good, song, strong, solid men. So she got me involved in competitive sports. Uh, I was involved in boy Scouts for a lot of those years um, because she recognized the importance of having other male leaders in, in my life. Uh, and it wasn't really until I became a father for myself that I started to see a gap, a glaring gap and, and realized that I was deficient in what I had been exposed to and experienced as the young man. So uh, a lot of those things came to a head, you know, but outside of that great childhood, you know, I, I didn't know any different. Um, I wouldn't say that I had a bad childhood. I came from a bit of a broken home, I guess you could say, but um, I, I don't, I don't paint myself as a victim. I don't think it was bad. My, my mother loved us. Uh, she always made sure that we had food on the table, a roof over her head. And looking back at it now, she probably had some financial struggles. You know, that time she was working two, three jobs at a time. Uh, to make ends meet, to make sure that we could have, you know, the un new uniform for football or baseball or for cheer for my sister or whatever it was. Uh, and, and she did a phenomenal job to the best of her ability. You know, I think she would probably say, not even probably, I know she would say 
there was some challenges uh, in, in not having a man in the home, but she did a phenomenal job with, with the cards that she had dealt been dealt. So overall, good childhood, lots of fond memories. We moved around a little bit from Southern California um, to Southern Utah when I was 13 or 14 years old, a big, a big town, it was Anaheim area in California to this little small rural town in Southern Utah, the high school that I would have went to in California, in fact, had more kids enrolled in the high school than the entire population of the town that I moved to in Southern Utah. So it was a huge, huge culture shock. Uh, but it was something that was very good for, for me. Uh, and I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. So that's a little bit about my childhood. I don't think I'm all that unique or different than anybody else. Nothing special in there. You know, we all deal with hardships and challenges and issues with our mom and dad or whatever it might be. And so it's just, there's just nothing that, you know, unique. Like we've all dealt with a lot of what I just shared, shared with you guys. So that's it. Yeah. So where you are now in your life, is there anything that you maybe still deal with? Just you talked about some of the experiences that you had as a child with, with your own father, with stepfathers that came into and out of the mix, whether it was, you know, the verbal and physical abuse, whether it was the alcoholism, things that you saw, are there any experiences that you still maybe are having to work on within yourself or, yeah, I know you don't love the word trauma. Um, I've heard you talk about that a little bit specifically. I heard, you know, you and John Deloney talk about that. Um, is there anything that you're still working through? Or you, you find yourself kind of like catching yourself on, like, how are you, how do you process that? Yeah, look, and, and I want to be really clear on the word trauma. I realize that there are traumatic events. I realize mm -hmm. that there are traumatizing scenarios that, that people have gone through. Um, I, I haven't, uh, personally, you know, I've been, I, I dealt with those things as a kid. Um, I was in the military. You mentioned that earlier. And so I, I did a combat tour in 2005 and 2006 into Ramadi, Iraq, which was pretty much the hotbed of the insurgency at that point. Uh, you know, so there was some experiences there and, and I just think, although trauma is real and there's, there's people who are dealing with like significant issues, I don't think it's a good idea to say that everything is traumatic because it just, it make it puts too much weight to it. Mm -hmm. And what I experienced as a young man, isn't, isn't a 10th of what I know some of my close friends have gone through. And, and some of those are very traumatic experiences. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend like I had this traumatizing childhood. Um, and then, you know, the other thing about it too, is that when you say it's trauma, I, I think what you're doing is you're in a way, maybe trying to give yourself an excuse or maybe even a, even a reason for, for, the experiences that you went through. And sometimes there just isn't, mm -hmm. you know, there, there, it, there's no reason. There's no grand plan. This is just the cards you were dealt and you got to make the most of it. And I also think that at times your excuses expire, mm -hmm. you know, so it would be very easy for me to act like a real jerk towards my wife and my children. And I have in the past and occasionally I still do. And then just blame it on, well, I didn't have a dad, so I didn't know how, okay, well, I'm a grown man, you know, and how long are people going to continue to use those excuses or reasons? And there's a difference. A, mm -hmm. a reason is when I think about the difference between a reason and an excuse, a reason is, is why something happened, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I was driving to work and, uh, there was an accident on the highway and that's the reason I'm late. 
And so tomorrow I'm going to make sure that I leave earlier mm -hmm. so that if something happens or there's a slowdown or accident or traffic, I'll be here to be on time. So a reason is something that continues to progress. You're like, oh, this was the reason I'm late. And so here's what I'm going to do. An excuse is puts a period on the end of the sentence. Like, well, there was an accident. And so like, there's nothing I can do about it. So like deal with it. I'm going to be late. Okay. Well now you're just making an excuse and you're not really giving yourself an opportunity to progress and get better and move forward. And mm -hmm. so that's what I see is the distinction between it. So, you know, there's reasons that I am the way that I am, but there's not really an excuse for underperformance or poor behavior. Um, reasons are always going to lead towards action. And I believe excuses lead, lead towards inaction. Um, so I, as far as dealing with things, I mean, I am who I am based on past experiences. So probably, uh, yeah, there's probably some lingering stuff there, but also I don't put that baggage on my dad or my mom or the universe or God or whatever, whoever, because it's really irrelevant. Um, and I am a grown man and I get to choose how I'm going to show up every day and, and how I'm going to be and how I'm going to behave. Uh, I got after my oldest son the other day, yesterday, in fact, uh, probably a little harsher than I should have and needed to. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually undermined my ability to teach him the lesson that he should have learned or I wanted him to. Uh, and so I could have said, well, you know, he's just being that way. So he needs, okay. Or alternatively, maybe there's two things that are existing at one time that he's not doing what he needs to be doing. And you could approach it more effectively to actually gain a favorable outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I went to him last night and I apologized to him. I said, Hey, bud, like, here's what I was trying to do. Here's how I fell short. Here's what I need you to do. And here's how I'm going to improve moving forward mm -hmm. because I don't have an excuse. Like there's no excuse for underperforming or poor performance. And if you mess up and we all do, then you just rectify it and you fix it. So I'm not going to hang on to anything that might be quote unquote lingering or hanging on from the past. Like today's today. And I'm going to make new choices based on my level of maturity and what I've learned over the, over the course of my life. Yeah. I really appreciate how objective you are in your thought process and just being willing to take ownership of, of things like that. And like you said, let whatever it is, let it be a comma, not a period. When you put a period at the end of that sentence and that's it, then nothing good can happen afterwards. There can that's be right. no reconciliation. There can be no growth or no progress, but leaving that open, it's okay. What are we going to do about it? That's it's, it's funny. You say that it's one of the questions that I'm trying to ask my boys are five and three and I'm mm -hmm. trying, they're in that stage now. It's like something happens and just emotionally, it's just all the alarms. Like one little thing, like this morning, my son's coloring and he's a perfectionist. And he spills a little drop of water on his, on his paper and he loses his mind. Yeah. Like, and I'm yeah. just like, okay, buddy, well, I understand that that upsets you, but what can we do about it? How could we maybe, you know, Maybe next time we're not going to leave our water cup right next to the piece of paper that we're coloring on, but just asking, what are we going to do about it? Um, I really appreciate the way that you, you think through that. I think, I think we're pretty aligned on the way we're thinking through that. Um, yeah. I think that's a great way to approach it with a child who's three or five years old. Mm -hmm. um, even like as a grown man, I think even an appropriate response would be like, so what? All right. Like if you're feeling pissed off today about whatever, so what? Nobody cares that you're pissed. Mm -hmm. Like you think your clients are worried about that. You know, you think your wife is, is okay with you treating her like a jerk because you're pissed off. Like there's no excuse for it. There's mm -hmm. reasons and you should explore those reasons. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm pissed off because I got passed over for the promotion. Well, that would actually be good to know. So now you can, you can think to yourself, okay, well, next time there's a promotion, 
what do I need to do in order to make sure that promotion is, is something that I get? So I'm not mm-hmm. talking about being oblivious either. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about reasons so you can improve or excuses, which is just upon responsibility off on other people or other things. Yeah. And I think also rooted in that and the way that you just articulated that made brought it to my mind, but it's, it's the idea of not projecting our own problems onto other people. Like, it's not like, like you said, bad day at work, like this hand raised, this happens to me all the time. I'll come home and I've had a, a rough day, kind of a beat down day at the office. Like it's not my kid's burden or my wife's burden or responsibility to share in that with me. Like to your point, who cares? Like, it's not their job to carry that weight for me. I have to be emotionally mature enough to shed that before I walk in the door so that I can then serve them better. Does to that to make a sense? degree. Yeah, it does. And, and I, I agree like 80% with that with your kids, certainly, because they don't have the capacity to shoulder any of that weight and they haven't mm-hmm. even signed on for that. Right. Um, but your wife, no, she's actually signed on for that. You know, when she saw, signed on the proverbial dotted line and said, I do, mm-hmm. she said that she was going to help you carry some of that weight. Just like you said, you're going to help her carry some of her weight. Mm-hmm. So I'm not suggesting that you need to dump baggage onto her at all. But when you come home and you're pissed off about work, I think it's completely appropriate to say, Hey, hon, you know what? Like I need a half hour. Uh, I need to go out to the shop or I need to go do a walk or I just need to go for a quick bike ride or whatever. Um, because I had a really hard day at work, which I'm happy to explain what it is. I don't want to rehash it, but here's why. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that I clear all this stuff out before I come back and engage with you and the kids. Now, if that's a trend and you're doing that every night, that's, that's a problem. But yeah. if that's a one-off, um, you know, I think that's completely appropriate. And I think it's a requirement because otherwise you're going to be walking around all hot-headed, and she may not know why. And I don't think that's fair either. Yep. And when she says, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing. Well, that's not true. And that's not fair to her. So I do think we should explain ourselves um, and, and allow them into our, our spouses, into our lives so they can see that, but mm-hmm. still coming with the mindset of, of being solution oriented rather than just dwelling in these, these nasty cycles of anger or, or emotion or frustration or whatever it, you might be experiencing. Yeah, that that actually helps me a lot. And I think that's going to, that point is going to help a lot of people as well. So I tend to be a little bit more polar with it to a fault to where it's either like I've suppressed the emotion and I'm just stuffing it down, which then can build and turn. I know that can turn into resentment and and anger and things later on down the line, or I come in and I am just, I'm just not there. I'm just, I'm distracted or I'm upset or I'm frustrated or whatever it is. Yeah. And then, then that just gets projected with no explanation onto my wife. And then she's like, well, did I do something wrong? Like what is he upset with me? Right. And then it's as, as that goes on set, it creates a whole nother host of problems. But I appreciate that, that perspective of coming in the middle and just being a man of communicating like, Hey, this is what I got going on. Let me take a lap and I'll come back. I'll, you know, I'll be good. That's going to help me a lot. Come back. Yeah. Like, so, so a lot of guys, <laughs> what they'll do is they'll hear that and they'll say, okay, well, I can tell my wife that, um, and then she'll leave me alone. And that's probably true because mm-hmm. you're asking her to, and then they don't ever come back. And that's, that's not right either. Like you need yep. to actually come back and re-engage, but the emotional thing is a very interesting thing for guys. I think not exclusively, but generally we tend to deal with this emotional suppression more so than women. Mm-hmm. Uh, women, I just think are relational. They're more, more emotionally um, intelligent even, uh, mm-hmm. or driven, mm-hmm. whereas we're not as emotionally intelligent or driven. Um, 
And, and so it's been, been something that I've really talked a lot with guys because we have a misconception that we're supposed to always be stoic and we're not supposed to show our emotion. And, and there's a real misunderstanding of our relationship with emotions. Uh, it's not that we shouldn't experience those emotions. Um, sometimes if you're angry, that's actually appropriate. You know, if somebody hosed mm-hmm. you over at work um, or took advantage or claimed credit for something you did, anger is appropriate. Like, why wouldn't you be angry? Um, if, uh, if, if somebody, you know, cuts you off on the road or, uh, maybe even worse, like hold you at gunpoint, you know, fear and anger are appropriate. But what we need to realize is there's a difference between the emotion we experience and our actions and our behavior because of it. So a lot of guys will say, let me give you an example. You get pissed off at work. And you get home and you're so mad about something, or maybe your wife does something and it just gets under your skin and you go into your bedroom and you punch a hole in the wall. Now, if I were to ask why a man did that, he might say, well, I punched a hole in the wall because I'm angry. No, that isn't true. Okay. You may have been angry. That might be true, but you punched on a a hole in the wall because that's what you decided to do. They are not, they are, they are not inseparable. Like anger, Mm -hmm. punch a hole in the wall. No, anger can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Some appropriate behavior and some inappropriate, like punching a hole in the wall or, or, or hitting somebody else may not be entirely appropriate if you're angry. Mm -hmm. So we need to differentiate and, and create a division, a line between the emotion we're experiencing anger in this case, and then our actions because of it. So another response to anger might be, your wife says something that pisses you off or gets under your skin. And so you're angry, but instead of punching the wall, you decide, you know what, I'm going to tell her I'm angry about that. So you Mm -hmm. go to your wife and you say, Hey, you know, you said something to me and I was really upset by that. And I'm upset by that because I don't think you recognize everything that I do for the family. And I feel underappreciated when you make comments like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a, that if you do it correctly, that's completely appropriate. That's a completely appropriate response to the anger you might be experiencing. And then probably what's going to happen is she's going to say, oh, I didn't realize that. What I meant was X, Y, and Z. And But now that you say that, I can see how you feel underappreciated. And you're not. I actually really appreciate you. But I said that because your behavior is, is, is not within your normal character. And so I just said that on the fly. And then you can come and work to some sort of solution. Yep. So experiencing emotions is fine. It's what we do with that input, that stimulus that really makes the difference. Yeah, it's um, it's when you think through that and you're in that situation, I think we run from it. I know I've run from it in the past because I, I haven't actually put my fist through a wall before, but the the equivalent of that in any other outlet a lot of times is more approachable or seems easier, I think, than actually turning and facing and sitting down with your wife and, and, and explaining, articulating exactly what you just said. I think sometimes... You know, I, I won't project this on anybody else, but I've done that before. I've hid from that. You know what I mean? I've gone to say, oh, I got to go do something else or I got to go let this anger out in some other way. But if you never actually have that conversation, if you never actually man up and face it, then there's no way you can reach the reconciliation like, like you said. Yeah, and, and we do that because it's, it's the path of least resistance. So it's fight yes. or flight. Mm-hmm. So what do we do as men if we're pissed off again? Um, we're threatened. It's an, it's immediately, it's, it's always from a threatened position, right? So I'm threatened. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to turn and I'm going to fight 
whatever is threatening me, mm-hmm. or I'm threatened. I don't feel comfortable with this. So I'm going to run away from it. So mm-hmm. if something happens at work and you come home and you punch the wall, cause we're using that example, that's a flight mentality, mm-hmm. right? Because punching the wall, the wall's not going to punch you back. The walls, you don't have to talk to the wall. You don't have to explain yourself to the wall. You just punch the wall and you know, that's a flight. Mm-hmm. A fight is you bang up when somebody gets in your face, either literally or figuratively, and you start going on the defense and then turn it into the offense. And that's, that's the fight mentality. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something in between, which is, I would just call it assertiveness. So, so the flight mentality is passive. The fight mentality is aggressive. And then the assertive mentality, which is the example I gave you where you went to your wife and you said, Hey, you know, I'm pissed off. Cause you said this thing and this is how it makes me feel. That's an assertive mentality. And that's what we should be working towards is being more assertive. It's not passive. It's not aggressive, but our needs are communicated. And therefore you give that other party an opportunity to meet those needs. And your wife wants you to, wants to meet those needs. Yes. You know, yes. I know there's some vindictive women out there, just like there's some vindictive men and there might be some real strains in your relationship, but by and large, your wife wants to make sure your needs are met. Just like you want to make sure her needs are met. How can we teach this to our kids? How can we model this for them? What's the, uh, you, you've got kids that are starting to get a little bit older. I think Brecken is around 13 or so. How do you work on this with a, with a boy who's growing to that age? Well, number one is an example, right? So mm-hmm. they need to be able to see, you know, like there's situations where um, parents will either just like violently argue with each other in front of their kids. That's not productive because that's mm-hmm. how they see conflict, conflict resolution. Um, or they will never have important or even slightly contentious conversations in front of their kids. And that's not good either. Like mm-hmm. you should be able to have those types of conversations with your spouse in front of your children so they could see, oh, dad's mad and mom's mad. And yet they're still talking. Oh, and now they're not mad at each other anymore. Oh, they came to this conclusion or this resolution. And so that's a great example for your children. But the other thing that you can do for your kids is making sure that when you acknowledge and recognize that maybe they're upset or they're mad, or they have a little bit of maybe uh, jealousy is one, especially between siblings Mm -hmm. um, or, or greed or any of these what I would call like, like so-called negative emotions. I don't really think there's negative emotions, but we'll use that for now. Um, is that you begin to work them through it. And so when you're, when you go to your son and you could tell he's just really been out of shape about something, you can say, Hey son, I, I noticed you're angry. What's going on? Like, what are you angry about? Mm-hmm. And then he tells you, well, you shouldn't say he's wrong. That's what you should not do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm angry because of this. Well, you shouldn't be angry at that. Just get over it. Okay. <laughs> that what you're doing is you're telling him to subdue that emotion. Yep. So what you should say is, oh man, yeah, you're angry um, that you didn't get the starting position on your baseball team. Yeah. I'd be angry too. Who are you angry with? Well, I'm angry with my coach because of whatever. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, man, I've been there. I had a, when I was, 12, you know, I got cut from the the basketball team and I was very angry with my coach and it was a very frustrating thing for me. And then he's going to say, well, what did you do about it? And then you start working him through a mature, rational approach to his anger. So you're not dismissing that he's angry or she, Mm -hmm. but that you're working them through it. And then the question is, 
So what are you going to do with this anger you're experiencing? I'm going to quit. Okay, well, let's talk about that. You know, do you, do you like baseball? Yeah. Do you want to keep playing? Yeah. Okay, well, so is quitting, does that solve the problem? No, it doesn't. Okay, so what else might we be able to do? And you start working them through a mature, rational approach and understanding, a logical approach to the emotions that we're experiencing. But that takes time and effort. And it takes you being present to re realize what's going on, to recognize what's going on. And then the, what I would say margin, it's the margin that you need to carve out to be able to have these meaningful and significant conversations with your children. Yeah. Gosh, that's, it's so strong. And, and the word presence, like you have to be in the game. I think in it's, it's in the mundane moments in the day that I found that those moments, those opportunities to actually have that conversation pop up. Like I think we, a lot of times we think it's going to be this, you know, game of grand gestures as a parent or as a husband, but it's, I, I've, I've come to believe that I'm, the, those can exist, but the, I think the opposite is really true that it's, it's really a matter of showing up in those moments and being able to walk them through it. And I love the way that you just, you just express that. And I want to give you a lot of credit for the podcast that you're doing with your son, Brecken, man in the making. I was listening to an episode. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of them, but there was, it was the one where you guys were talking about Sarge. You were talking about your pup that you guys had mm. to put down. And I was so struck by how, you know, I guess your, your persona, your brand order of man, it can be a very, it's, it's, it's very masculine. Obviously it can be like come across as alpha male, but in the strength of that, there's also a tenderness that I think is not always recognized. And I think you also spoke to that a little bit there in the way that you're articulating, you know, walking him through understanding his emotions. But I thought just listening to that episode, I think you're doing a phenomenal job of, of, I guess being, uh, Jason Wilson talks about being more comprehensive as men and being mm, able to show yeah. up on both sides of the spectrum. So I just want to give you a lot of credit for that. And I want to say for anybody listening, that podcast made in the making, there's a lot of examples, um, just like what Ryan's talking about right now of him in the moment, talking with his son, answering hard questions, na navigating things that I think, you know, a lot of times just go unsaid or they go unspoken about in households, but you're doing it, you know, live on air. And I think doing a phenomenal job of, of setting that example of how we can actually do this with our boys. So kudos to you yeah, guys. I, thank you, man. I appreciate that means a lot. And I don't, I don't want it to come across as I'm like excellent at that. Always, you know, I, sometimes when you have a microphone in front of your face, you realize people are listening and you might do it in a more mature way than you would in the moment. Like I just told you <laughs> five minutes ago, I got after my son more than I, I should have. Right. Um, so it's, it's a little different when that that's in front of your face, but you know, what's interesting is if you look at like some of my heroes, even just fictional characters, uh, you know, like William Wallace, right. From Braveheart, mm -hmm. uh, or, um, Maximus from gladiator, right. Like these characters that we see and, and they're, they're actually comprehensive. Like if you look at Braveheart and you look at William Wallace, everybody knows and thinks of him as a, like a great warrior. And he is, he definitely is. But he is also tender, right? He the reason he fights is for love. Mm -hmm. Like he's literally fighting for a woman, and then that kind of starts to graduate and transition to his compassion and care for his people, and for the 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 mission of freedom. And you see him in brotherhood, and you see him suffering, 
you know, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally with his, with his fellow warriors. And you see him sacrificing uh, and, and you see him betray almost his own, his own thought process because he believes he's vulnerable enough to believe in somebody else. And he's willing to make that sacrifice. It ends up backfiring, but there's another side of it that we don't too often look at when we see these, uh, these individuals, but you know, you look at Maximus and gladiator. The reason he tried to stay alive is the memory of his family. Even in death, he was like, Hey, you, you need to take care of my family. And they slaughtered his family. And that was way that weighed heavy on him up until, you know, the moment that he died in that movie. So we don't typically acknowledge that, but it's there and it's present if we are mindful enough to see it. Yes, absolutely. It's so true. It's, it's, it's right. It's right there. So I'd love to hear your perspective too on like, so you've done all these episodes with your son. You're getting to walk him through this as an example for everybody else. Have there been any questions, conversations, topics that have come up on a show that you guys have talked about where in the moment you're just like, Oh shit, how am I going to handle this? Like what, what's going on in your head when some of the tougher things come up? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about it, you know, we talk about hormones and we talk about puberty and we talk about sex and pornography and masturbation and all these kind of weird topics, not only for me as a father, but certainly as a 14 year old boy, like I didn't, I don't want to have those conversations. <laughs> he handles them really well. And I, I thought about why he handles them so well is basically basically because it's not foreign to him. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could, the way that I present them is, is going to mirror for him. So if I'm weird and awkward about it, then he's going to think this is weird and awkward to talk about. And so, although it may not be the most comfortable thing, some of these conversations, well, that's my job. Like that's a hundred percent my job description. And so I can't make it weird or uncomfortable. Uh, you know, we, we treat it with the seriousness that these conversations deserve, but we're also lighthearted about it and we laugh about it and we have fun about it. Um, so I'm not sure there's been a topic where I, I really didn't want to have that conversation or I felt so awkward about it. Like I, I know what it is. I think about it and it just, it just hasn't been an issue for me. I, I don't, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just being aware of it and knowing that I got to get over it and then have the conversation. Cause really the ultimate goal is for him to be out on his own and my other children to be out on their own and be self-sustaining contributing members of society. And so a lot of new fathers will ask me, Hey, Ryan, if you had a bit of advice for a first time father, what would it be? And I could give you the advice, like, you know, take care of yourself and love him or her and don't neglect your wife. Like I could give you the standard basic advice and it's not wrong, but the advice that I always give first time fathers is remember now that it's your job to render yourself obsolete. It's your job to put yourself out of work. And if you have that mentality going into fatherhood, then you're going to more readily have the types of conversations that need to be had that you know are going to serve your child for years and years and years to come. And, and maybe without thinking about it before you ask this question, maybe that's the reason those conversations are, they don't elude us. They're conversations we can have because I'm looking at it from a long-term perspective, not what's going to happen in the moment or how uncomfortable I might feel today. That's really strong, really strong. So with your, with your son Brecken, obviously you guys have this podcast that we've just been talking about. 
I think I've got two boys right now and they take every ounce of capacity that I've got pouring into them, doing everything that I can to show for my family the best way that I can. You've got four and you're a busy guy yeah. as well. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like, I guess, navigating, just you know, communicating to kids differently, having to expand your own capacity to, to pour into four kids, it, being as intentional as you are. What's that process been like for you? raising four kids as, and now as they're starting to get a little bit older? Well, two things. Number one, the more kids you have, it actually, in my perspective, becomes exponentially easier because now they have, one. yeah, I mean, think about it though. They have, yeah, there's more resources you need to provide, but they have a lot of other things to occupy their time and attention. They have siblings and they have activities and they have toys and they like, there's, it's, it's just, easier because you're not having to pour all of your attention into one or two. Yeah. You have four, but then there's four that they can entertain themselves. Like right now mm -hmm. I can actually hear them downstairs. They're playing together. They're doing things together. Mm -hmm. It also gets easier as they get older. Like my 14 year old son needs less attention than my, my youngest when he was two. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're at a stage now where they need it all, but the yep. older they get, like they're going to be at baseball. They're going to be at football. They're going to be at dance or piano or what, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's going to require less and less of your attention. But that said, there are things that we've done in our family where we carve out non-negotiable time together. And that's a good opportunity to maximize our time. So dinner, every single 80% of the nights we have dinner together. There's a couple of nights a week where I'm at jujitsu and, and we don't, but outside of that, every single uh, night we have, we have dinner together. Uh, we also do a family morning meeting. So every morning we wake up early, we sit down, we read the scriptures, we say a prayer, and that shifts between who's saying it between my mm -hmm. wife and I and, and the children. Um, and then we just get on the same page. Like my wife might say, Hey, tonight I've got to take our daughter to dance. And so we'll be gone from five to seven. Uh, so Ryan, you have to pick up the boys from lifting and, and it becomes easier. It's like a football team. You know, you get in a huddle mm -hmm. and the quarterback calls the play and everybody knows what their role is. Mm -hmm. And on a different play, it might be something else. Well, the quarterback gets up to the line and he sees the defense. He sees a vulnerability or a strength in the defense. And what does he do? He calls an audible. And so he says, he calls that audible blue 42, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else knows what that audible is. And they're like, oh, okay, I got to shift. I got to switch. So they switch. And then if done correctly, they execute the play and, and they get the first down of the touchdown. Well, it's the same in your family. Like if you look around every single day and you see, oh, you know what? We had this unforeseen event. So an unforeseen event that came up on Sunday for us is I was at jujitsu and I actually tore my bicep Ooh. at jujitsu. So I get home and I walk outside. My wife's working, doing some beekeeping with our oldest son. That's something they like to do together. And I walk out there and she could tell something was wrong. And I said, Hey, you know, I've got a problem. Like I'm 90% sure I tore my bicep and showed her. And they like, my son like threw up in his mouth. He's like, that's disgusting. And oh, yeah. So I said, so I have to go to the ER to like, get this looked at and figure out what's going on. She's like, do you want me to drive you? I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'll, I'll go drive down there. I just want you to know I have to do that audible right? Yeah. Like, this <laughs> is not 42. something I planned on. Yeah, exactly. This is yeah. not something I planned for. So she's like, okay, well, I'm going to watch the, uh, I I'm, I'm going to take care of the bees and then the other kids are here and then I'll come in. And so we just shift, right. But in order to shift successfully, everybody has to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. And so having these moments throughout the day, and there's two dinner 
and our morning meeting, those are where we make the shifts and call the audibles and the plays and everybody knows what they are. And if somebody drops the ball, then we're going to talk about it and we're going to get that worked out. But those moments really create a lot of efficiency and effect, efficacy in, in our, in our daily planning and in our family dynamic. Yeah. I really like the bookend approach, you know, being together in the morning, being together in the evening, bookending that day, especially that, I think that structure, that framework, you know, I was about to say for, for the kids, but I mean, shoot for us as adults, I think that's, I think that's critical to, to stay on track. So you mentioned yeah. your, you mentioned your wife. I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, your wife, the role that she plays for your family and you know, how you support her in that. I know you guys are, you've moved the family up to Maine, um, living on yeah. a bunch of acreage up there. Tell me a little bit about what, what home life is like and um, the role that your wife plays in your family. Yeah. One of the things that I've always known about her since we started dating is she's always wanted to be a, a homemaker and a housewife, you know, and it's so frustrating because even now, I think when I say that there's going to be a lot of people who hear that and, and generally associate it with some sort of negative connotation, mm -hmm. which it is, and it's beautiful and it works for us. And I think it can work for a lot of people who want to make it work and they don't think it can, or they feel guilty or like they're not doing the right things. And that's not accurate. So um, she was working up until we started having kids, our oldest. And when our oldest was, was born, Brecken, he, uh, she's, she stopped working and she's been at home ever since. Um, so her, her time consists of at this stage, we home, we've homeschooled our kids for the past three years. Like the year before COVID happened, we started homeschooling, mm -hmm. which is good because we were, we were ahead of the curve on that. Yep. Uh, and so she, she's really the one responsible for the data a day of what goes on in the home from homeschooling, um, to making dinner, to turning the house into a home. Uh, and then she has her own things, but she's very interested in, in, in housewife homemaking type activities. So, She's got bees and she does beekeeping. She grows a beautiful garden every year. So she plants from seed. So right now, cause it's still a little cold in Maine. Um, she's got those in, in our, in our laundry room. She's got a big shelf of seeds that are growing. And then gradually she'll start bringing those outside as it warms up. Um, she does canning. Uh, she, I bought her a dehydrator for Christmas. And so now she's dehydrating food and now we've got food storage. And so most of her day consists of making sure that the, the support of the family and the homesteading and the homemaking stuff is, is taken care of. And I support her in that. I used to, I used to think that her self-development journey needed to be my self-development journey. So I'd read a book like um, extreme ownership, for example, by Jocko. Mm -hmm. And I would love it. And I would say, hun, you need to read this. You need to take extreme ownership too. read this. And she would be repulsed by it. Right. <laughs> and, and reject it. And I'm like, what's her problem? Like she doesn't want, she doesn't want to improve. And that's one question I get a lot from guys is like, how do you get your wife to, to grow or something? And it's like, mm -hmm. well, hold up. Is that the real question or what you're asking? How do you get your wife to do it the same way you want to do it? And so that was a real source of frustration and contention in our relationship until I realized that my self-development journey did not have to be her self-development journey. Mm -hmm. So the way that I improve is I read I go to conferences, I'm active with jujitsu. Um, you know, I might go on a vacation or a trip for business or for, or for podcasting. Uh, th these are ways that I grow personally. She's not probably going to go to a business conference, 
right? Mm-hmm. She's probably not going to go like read the next, you know, self-help book, like extreme ownership or atomic habits. Like she's not, not going to do that, mm-hmm. but she would go to a homeschool conference. She would, uh, in fact, she did sign up. This was years ago for a, uh, a six or eight week course every Wednesday night on beekeeping. And so she's like, hunt, I'm going to be gone, you know, from six to nine every Wednesday night. And so you have the kids there with you. I'm like, cool, get on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd be like, well, why isn't she reading this book? But then I realized, oh no, she is doing self-development. That's why she's going to the beekeeping class. That's self-development for her. And so I learned years and years ago that if I was trying to get her on my page, that was going to be contentious. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to be frustrated and she was going to be frustrated. And now I support her. If she's talking about canning, for example, and, and food storage, that's why I bought her the dehydrator. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew that was part of her self-development journey. Um, that's why when she says, Hey, I want to go spend time with my siblings, uh, in Nashville. Uh, can we make that work? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. When do you want to go? What do we need to do? What do I have going on? Am I, am I keeping the kids? Do we need to bring her sitter in for these days? And I'm completely supportive of that, even though it's going to something that I would never go to, or I'm not that interested in, but what I'm interested in doesn't matter if she's interested in it and it's helping her develop and grow. I'm going to be nurturing and supportive of that. Dude, it, ex- it excites me so much to hear like a guy, a guy like you with the platform, the reach that you have speak that way about. And I think what's really coming through is just you honor her so much. Like you really honor her and what she wants and you honor her role in the family as as a homemaker, as a housewife. One of the things that pisses me off more than anything in the world is, is the like you said, there's sometimes a negative reaction or connotation. And it's like the air quotes, just a housewife. And that to me pisses me off more than anything in the world. My wife works part-time a little bit, but really that's where her heart is as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, if you've ever spent any time at home, like my wife will go oh. to town every once in a while with her friends, just for like, bro, say it's like a bachelorette <laughs> party. She'll come home and I'm like, I kept the kids alive. Like they ate healthy, Yep. but there is just shit all over the house. There's toys everywhere. The dishes haven't been flipped. We've just got dirty clothes. There's stuff growing. Like it's a disaster. Yep. It's so so, 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 so much work and nothing pisses me off more than when people use that phrase, just a housewife, as if it's, as if there's something more important to be doing than raising your kids. Like, come on. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. And it is, it is very frustrating, but you know, what's interesting about it. The people that do say that from my experience, anyways, men aren't telling that to women. Like it's not men. Cause mm-hmm. I think in my experience, at least anecdotally, the, the men that we work with would love to have their wives at home, taking care of the kids, keeping the home, the house, a home, preparing meals, doing some of this homesteading type stuff. I've been talking about like the men would love that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know who it is? It's the feminists, right? It's the women who are like women's empowerment. And it's ironic because you're as a feminist, you're saying, okay, hey, we want women's women to have power and women to have options and to go out in the workforce. And it's like, okay, if you want women to have options and they choose to stay at home, you're like, well, no, not those options. Like you're just a slave to, to your husband. It's like, so what you'd rather her go out into the workforce. And it's likely that she's going to be working for a man who cares nothing about her, who has no vested interest in her other than what she can bring to the company and has, has, has no, care in the world for, for this woman as a woman, that's mm-hmm. better than being at home and supporting 
a husband and and kids. Now, look, I'm never going to bash a woman who decides, hey, I want to go out into the workforce and I want to be a nurse or I want to be a school teacher. Or I want to be a doctor uh, or I want to become an engineer or I want to whatever. Mm-hmm. I would never bash on that. You know, if a woman wants to do that and that's, and she can make that work all the power to you. Mm -hmm. But I get frustrated when those types of women bash on a woman who chooses to stay at home. That just seems so ironic and hypocritical to me. I'm with you, man. It it drives me crazy. It's yeah, it's, it's sad to see it, but I'm very excited to, to hear a guy like you, like I said, honoring your wife, honoring what's important to her and honoring the, the work that, often goes so unappreciated, I think, you know, across the board a lot of the times for that role, for the homemaker, for the housewife. Um, so hats off to you, man. Bravo. Um, it seems like you guys, you guys are killing it. So as, as we move towards the, uh, the back end here, I've got a couple last couple questions that I ask everybody. Um, question number one is a little bit of a fastball. Question number one is, Ryan, what are you the most proud of in your life so far? Hmm. I don't, I, I was going to say like, you know, the family and the kids. And I, I kind of like, I am proud of that. I feel like that's kind of a throwaway answer. Cause we should all be proud of that. Right. Yep. So, and, and I also feel like I don't do that. Like, I feel like my wife does more of that. So like, is that really something I should be proud of? Or should I <laughs> be proud for her that she accomplishes so much? Um, yeah, I, I am. Re- of course I am proud of that, but I am really proud of the movement and the organization that we've created. You know, I started mm-hmm. this thing in 2015, and I really didn't have any idea of what we were getting ourselves into uh, because I started it as a hobby, something I could do to have conversations with men that I was inspired by on the podcast. And it's grown into this global phenomenon. I mean, we've got a book, we've got a new book coming out. We run four to five events per year. We're getting millions of podcast downloads um, every single month and every single year. I just, I can't believe what this has turned into. And, and I'm proud that I've been as hyper consistent as I have. And that's what's been required is just that level of just, just unrelenting consistency. And, and, and I'm proud that we've been able to do that and what we've created. That's awesome. Uh, question number two, Ryan, you are, you're a confident guy. You're an articulate guy. You've built this, this huge phenomenon, like you said, in, in order of man. Um, your podcasts are amazing. You're helping people around the world. Is there anything in particular that maybe you struggle with personally or that you find yourself constantly working on within yourself that maybe someone who sees you from a distance may not, uh, may not see. I, I really have a short fuse. Um, I'm very, I'm very impatient, uh, which is good in a lot of ways, actually, because it gives me a sense of urgency to move towards my goals and desires and objectives. Mm -hmm. So it's good in a lot of ways, but I do end up, um, alienating a lot of people. Um, I, I sometimes leave a wake of collateral damage in my path if I'm on the pursuit of something. And uh, I, I've realized that I've, I really have to work on how I communicate and treat people when I have something in front of me. If you put me on a mission or on a task or there's something I'm, I'm excited about, I, I really have a hard time seeing anything else, including other people. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up hurting people, um, not intentionally. It's just a byproduct of me being so relentless towards that pursuit. Um, and again, I grow impatient. And so I've, I've really had to notice, like, give yourself some margin. Um, don't be so rushed all the time from activity to activity to activity. Uh, because I notice when I yell at my kids, for example, or get, at, get, get after my wife about whatever, 
Um, it's usually because I'm stressed to the max because I haven't given myself adequate time to get everything done mm -hmm. or filled up my plate too much. So those are things I've really had to work on um, just to create that margin and that space to be able to have solid conversations without like railroading people. Yeah, that's, that's relatable. I think a lot of us uh, can, can relate sure. to that. I'm sure. Yeah. Especially high achievers. It's a, it's a trait of high achievers. And um, again, it's a blessing and a curse and you have to realize that the pros and cons of it. Yep. All right. So last question, I ask everybody this question and it's around the word legacy. So legacy is a word that gets talked to, talked about a lot. There's a lot of different meanings that get attached to it. A lot of interpretations. It's a lot of times that's financial generation generational wealth, whatever it may be. But when I think about legacy and the legacy that I really want to leave, I think about the people that I'm going to leave behind on earth. And I think about the people that are most important to me. So God willing, the people who fall into those two buckets are my kids. So when I think about legacy, I think about the moments, the memories, the lessons, the experiences, just the little one-off things that, like I said, God willing, I'm able to leave them behind on earth, that they're going to then be able to live their life, you know, with these moments of memories. So if I turn that like through that lens, I turn that around on you and I say, Ryan, what do you want your legacy to be with, with your four kiddos? How would you answer that? I, I really just want my kids to be able to take some risks. You know, I, I want them to see and, and know, or at least think of me and, and, and think, you know, dad always had these dreams. He had these desires. He had these things that he wanted to do and he was willing to put his money where his mouth was. You know, he, he I, I don't, I've had close people in my life who have talked about and their dreams and, and, and openly shared some of the things they want to do and they just haven't done it. And it's, it's very frustrating. And I don't want my kids to ever see that. I don't want them to experience that. I, and even in failure, and I failed at a lot of things. I want my children to see that he always tried it. Like he was always willing to try it. And, and that, that legacy is important to me because that's what I want to see for them is that they don't get trapped in this, this proverbial, you know, or, or perpetual, I should say, um, dreaming process that they actually mm -hmm. put some, some, some work and effort behind it. So, you know, the money and the, in the land and the, this and the business and all that stuff's great, you know, and, and hopefully we can leave something to our kids. I wrote something on Instagram or Facebook the other day. And I said, you know, my, my, man, what did I say? I got to, I got to quote this because I'm, I'm losing it a little bit. I'm, I think I, my I job exactly. as a father. Yeah. Well, there's some, yeah, there's that, but then, yeah. So, uh, I've got this one written it? down. If you want me to read it. You, yeah. If you have it right there, I'd love my, to, I'd love my to job as a father really is important. Is it my job as a father is to give my children opportunities I never had and to teach them how to create opportunities I never could. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and that's what I want. You know, I want to give them a head up, a leg up and some opportunities that I didn't have when I was a kid, but not so much that I can't teach them how to create their own opportunities and chase their own dreams. That's beautiful, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I wrote that down. I actually, I saw you posted that and I had that as a point to potentially bring up today. So I'm glad we hit that right at the end that, uh, awesome. that worked out well. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for making some time for us today, man. Thank you for everything. Um, like I said, it's a huge honor to have you on the show. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Where's the best place for people to find you, follow you, find out more about Order of Man? Tell us where to go. Yeah, if you want the podcast, Order of Man, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there, you'll find it. 
Uh, if you want to connect with me, the best way to do that is probably on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, all at Ryan Mickler. And I'm pretty responsive. It becomes increasingly difficult, but I am pretty responsive on those those platforms. So I think between the podcast and the websites, orderaman.com. So if you type in order a man or you type in Ryan Mickler, you're going to find me and I'm there and I'll communicate with you guys and try to stay in touch so that you, you can find us. Awesome. Ryan, again, thank you so much. We'll keep in touch, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.